we dealt with the Puritans and the way they were. And one of the things that's most important to understand is the Puritans made a big mistake. Oliver Cromwell made the biggest mistake of all. And that was, he believed that if you got rid of the outward trappings of religion, you cured all the problems. And the Puritan belief was that everything was wrong because of outward trappings. And so they tried to become simple and plain. And they said, well, if we do away with all the outward trappings of religion, then we'll get back to real life. He tries to think there's a way of getting back to reality, which is just take away all the trappings of religion, and then you'll get back to reality. The trouble is, you won't. Because the first trappings of religion were instituted by God. Because God told Moses to build the tabernacle and then told him how to build it in the mountain and told him exactly the details of it. And then God gave gifts to men to actually work with gold and silver and God taught people how to do things. So God wasn't against trappings because if there was anything more glorious, I don't know what it was, than the tabernacle which Moses built. Gold in it, jewels in it, everything in it, weren't there? So God wasn't against it. Furthermore, he wasn't against priestly clothes because he designed the priestly clothes. And he gave strict instructions in a heavenly vision to Moses exactly how they were to be constructed and what they were to be. Now, if reality came by taking away all the trappings, why on earth did God institute with his people all those things? Why did he bother to have a brazen altar? Why did he bother to have things if those things would detract from a relationship? And Moses was the one that constructed them. Moses was the one that did it. Aaron um, became the high priest and used to go in and out of the tabernacle. So everything was instituted of God in the tabernacle, not in the temple of Solomon. That's different, but in the tabernacle. And God wasn't against outward trappings at all. And Jesus, when he came to earth, actually went into the temple. And he wasn't against the temple he was against what was going on inside it. He wasn't against the trappings. He was against the abuse of the authority. And so often people lose out and they say it's the outward thing that's uh, the problem. It's not, never the outward thing. It's the inward heart. And once you come down to that, you realize that it doesn't matter what the trappings are. If you go to, let's say we went to Africa, and Mary and Colin and Peter and Carolyn received doctorates, all right? Now, to receive a doctorate, there was outward trappings. They wore clothes. Well, they wore clothes all the time they were there. But uh, they wore um, the hat and gown, and fine. If you go to any university, you'll find uh, if there's a, a, a special occasion, then you put on your doctoral garments and up you go. Now, it's not that in any way you become either intelligent or less intelligent because you put them on. If you walk into a court, the judge wears a wig. That's not because all judges are bald and need a toupee. Uh, because it certainly wouldn't look like normal hair. It's just a fashion, isn't it? And you'll see that um, lawyers wear wigs and gowns. Now, it's only a symbol of office. If you walk down the road, you'll see policemen wear uniforms. It's a symbol of office. But basically, you can have good policemen and bad policemen, but the symbol of the office they have 
is basically what they wear. Now, the Puritans somehow felt that if you could get away from all symbols, then you could come back to reality. And the nonconformist churches have lived on that, under that delusion all their lives. They said, well, let's abandon every form and let's get back to simplicity. And let's abandon every building and let's get back to simplicity. But if you do away with buildings in this country, you're going to freeze to death trying to meet in fields, aren't you? Especially in winter. And if you do away with the idea of all forms, what are you left with? You're left with a form of being non-conformed. So you've got the form... It says your form is not to conform. And that doesn't mean anything, does it, really? So what have you gained? Form. Now, is it better to be dead formless or dead with form? Well, either way, you're dead. I mean, is it better to be dead? dead and buried in an expensive coffin or a cheap one. Cheap, says Colin. We'll remember it when it's your turn. Be a cardboard box for you. I mean, if you're dead, you're dead, aren't you? And so often people got into the idea, well, it, it's the form and it's the things that stop us from coming to God. But a form will never stop you from coming to God. You can know God in any form. There's certain things that you can't do. You can't worship um, statues and idols. God forbids it. Uh, you, you have to believe the truth. But in the end, what's essential is inward heart experience. Faith in Christ. Now, it doesn't matter if you have faith in Christ and um, you say, well, I don't agree with this, I don't agree with that. Well, what's your basis for it? Why did God give the priests priestly garments? Why did all the Levites have to wear ephods so they didn't sweat? Why? Did God institute rituals? They had to wash in the laver. I mean, there were lots of things God did which were just form. Now, God didn't have a problem with form. Man does. Because man has this way, he doesn't like to conform to anything. Our society tries to do away with all conformity. That's why I think there's sadness in our society is they did away with national service. I think two years national service for a lot of the louts that are lying around would do them untold good. Make them work, get up in the morning, cut their hair, bath, which they've not learnt to do, uh, live decently. It would be good, wouldn't it, for a lot of them. And it would clear them off the streets, if nothing else. And for some of them, just give them five years national service. Discipline etched into them, couldn't you? Hmm? Um, I don't think today we've done good to our society by abandoning all forms. I'm amazed how many schools run. There's no uniform. People come. You look at the teachers. They come in jeans and dirty jumpers and, and beards and scruffy hair. What example is that to kids? None. And basically, there needs to be a realization that standards are right. And we need standards. If you have no standard at all, people sink lower and lower and lower. And God never intended it. And mainly, our society has dropped. And there came a, a liberalization uh, and the year of the Levi's disgusting um, and people believe that freedom 
had come and you've got the, the 60s and free love. And you look back and, and it destroyed in our society something. And then we did away with national service. And, and suddenly the young people became animals. And what we've got is the second generation of those animals because they went on LSD, they went on dope, they went on marijuana, and now you've got kids who are born to the parents who lived through those days in their teenage years, and they haven't disciplined their kids, and now we're reaping the benefit of them. Thank you very much. Or don't thank you. And we lost something in our society, and the society has gone down and down and down. And in the church... They've come to a place where form is abandoned. And there were, the Jesus movement did a lot of damage because the Jesus movement basically talked about the fact that, well, you don't need formality. They wanted to put the Bible in every man's language, in daily language, so it's memorable only by the fact that you can't remember any of it. And... They took away all the beauty of the English language and stuck it in common man's language. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I like literature and I cannot imagine uh, somehow you could do away with Shakespeare and modernize it, except there is a stupid woman that's done it and it takes a woman to think of stupid things. Try to put Shakespeare in modern-day language. Now, to be or not to be, and that is the question... Uh, whether it is nobler to suffer things of hours of outrageous fortune or by opposing end them to die to sleep. You know that, that thing. Um, you find that if you try and put it into modern day language, it would be awful, especially as Essex language. I don't know what it would be in Essex language, but they'd drop all the H's, which they'd call H's, and they'd have the inability to speak. And what they've done with church is they've said, well, anything goes. So you can go to some churches and you look round, and the leaders are in jeans and sloppy shirts. Uh, the people look like they've been drug up out of the gutter. And everyone's standing there and somehow it's noble to look scruffy there's no nobility in scruffiness if you're scruffy you're scruffy because you don't look after yourself and you have no self-respect it's fair comment isn't it and yet people value it and they say oh well you know uh, we're informal well when someone if I go out to dinner I I I like to look reasonable. You go out for a meal, you like to look reasonable, don't you? There's certain restaurants, thank God, where they won't let you in without your tie. I'd have a problem tonight. Um, there's places where they, they, they say, well, you've got to have a jacket. Still. And basically, the whole attitude of people has been so wrong because what we've done in, in our churches is we've abandoned all standards, all values and in the end we abandon God in our search and quest for freedom we become bound by liberty and liberty can be as binding as rules and regulations but rules and regulations have one advantage they don't bind you they help you. The law is the schoolmaster that brings you to Christ. And there's lots of things in your life you'd be helped if you learned a little discipline, wouldn't you? Hmm? There's nothing wrong with being told what's right and wrong, is there? I dread to think when they say, well, legalize drugs and then people won't want to take them. Well, how far do you go? Do you legalize crack? How far do you go? Why not allow any booze to be sold? Why not allow all poisons? You know, why not allow this? Why not allow that? In the end, you've got to draw a line, haven't you? 
in homes, in marriages, in families, in drink, in drugs. You've got to draw lines. You've got to say, hey, so far, no further. God drew lines. And yet, freedom came. Now, what happened with the Puritans, they thought that the lines always meant death. No, the lines don't mean death. It's your attitude to what they are and the practice of the people who live in them. And what happened, all the clergy were basically going to the church and becoming clergy because they went to Oxford or Cambridge and they got a living and they had no intention of preaching They had no intention of exhorting people in righteousness. They had no intention of living a Christian life. They basically looked on it as a living. And they used to call it a living. And all they wanted was the poor people to come and give them money. And that's how they'd live. And so the Puritans saw abuse of the right thing, and so they said, let's abandon it all. And that, unfortunately, is a mistake that many people make. Now, am I there for, for the churches? No, because the Anglican church has moved so far away from what God intended that I don't think you could ever restore it. God said you can't put a new piece of cloth onto an old garment. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. You can't bring back life. And, and there has to be a standard. Now, it doesn't mean that all the forms were wrong. It just means that the people that occupied the positions were wrong. You find bad policemen. They walk about in blue uniforms just the same as anyone else. Now, it doesn't mean because there's a few rotten police that all the police are wrong, does it? I mean, there must be one who's honest. Well, half of one anyway. Oh, hello there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Sergeant. Um, it doesn't mean they're all bent, does it? Well, not totally bent, anyway. And you've got teachers. Teachers wear their toga or whatever it's called. What is it? Um, gown. And, and some teachers are good teachers. And some teachers are hopeless teachers. And different offices doesn't mean that because you've got bad people in them that necessarily the form's wrong. And what happened with the Puritans and what happened with the Baptists and what's happened through history is people thought if you get rid of all the forms and you get rid of all the ceremonies and you get rid of all the distinctions, then you can get back to the reality of Christ. But Christ had form. Because he chose 12 disciples. He chose 70, but 12 were special, and 70 were sent out. And from the day one, he chose special people to do special functions. And he gave gifts to men. And the trouble is, we think there must be no form in it. But there was form. Jesus, when he stood up and read from Isaiah, when he went to the synagogue, he took the place where normally a visitor was asked to read the scripture and he opened at that place and read it. He wasn't against the form. He just told them that this day is this word fulfilled in your ears. And then he began to heal the sick and deliver the captive and it did upset them. But always there was form. And One of the things you have to understand when you start studying history is you have to understand from where people were coming and where they went wrong. Because if you don't understand that, you'll live in the delusions they had. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Oh, you are you? There's nothing wrong with form. Now, that doesn't mean I'm for going down to the Vatican and seeing old Polish fellow. I'm not. Um, as far as I'm concerned, idolatry is idolatry. It's against Scripture. I'm not for having forms that are wrong, but there's nothing wrong with what's right, is there? Is that plain? And you say, well, is it necessary to wear something special? 
if you're a minister. No, it's not. It's not necessary at all. What's necessary is an experience in the heart. But does it matter whether you wear something special or not? No, not at all. It's only an outward sign of an inward reaction. But what I want to suggest to you is one of the most important things in life is let's do what's right and show how it can be rather than just abandon everything and show no one anything of anything. They all said, oh yeah, I agree with that. Is that logical? If you can't show the reality, then you can't show anything. Now, George Fox came in on the scene, and it's George Fox I want to deal with tonight, and he lived, and you need to make a note of this, from 1624 to 1691. And George Fox was a young man who worked for a milliner who sold cloth and sold ribbon. And it was said of George Fox when he was 12, because that was the age he was working at. He worked from the age of 12. Said of him that if his yes, if George Fox says yay, it's yay. And if George Fox says nay, it's nay. In other words, he was a man of his word from the age of 12. It says by the age of 18 that he could, if every Bible in the world was burnt, he could have written one from memory. The one thing George Fox did, he got into his heart and his mind the Word of God. And he knew the Scriptures so well that it said of him that he could have written at 18 the whole Scripture from memory. He was a man who was self-educated, he studied at night time, he studied in the evenings, and when he was in the shop and there was nothing going on, he read. Now at that time, there were lots of cottage meetings all around the country, and the people that were in the cottage meetings were called seekers. And the seekers sought because they were fed up with the clergy who would be down the tavern boozing and whoring or whatever else you want to call it. And people were fed up with them and said there must be something other than what they're doing. And so the seekers all around in the cottages were seeking they knew not what. But they knew they hadn't found it. And at 18, George Fox had an encounter with God. And he had a problem because he knew he was a sinner and he didn't know how to get rid of it, his sin. And so the professors in religion, one told him that what he needed to do to get rid of his sin was go to a doctor and have some blood drawn off because the pressure on him was giving him emotional problems and if he lost a bit of blood, he'd be all right. Another said, well, if you get married and you fulfill your fleshly desires then all conviction will leave you. And the priest that told him that used to practice what he preached uh, with whomever. Another said to him, well, uh, really nothing is sin. And George Fox, who had read the scriptures and knew them so well, he, he was bothered about it. And there came a day when he had an encounter with God and he realized that Jesus Christ had died to save him from his sin and was risen again, and he got born again, and his whole life changed. And he says that for two days he had an open vision of heaven. And he went up into um, a mountain in Yorkshire, and the name of the place evades my mind at the moment, but I've been there, and there's a plaque there, and he went up and he prophesied across England. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied. And from that moment on, at 18, he went and began to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, taught of the Spirit of God. And his great teaching was that you must have a light within. And if you're lighted within, and God has truly lighted you within, then the Scriptures become alive. And he was a man who used to go out and he'd sit on a haystack 
and because it's easier to sit on it than stand on it. And it'd sit there and wait, sometimes for two hours. And people would gather. And he'd wait till the Spirit of God came upon him and stirred in him. And then he would stand up and preach. And thousands would get saved. And he used to always express it, and the power of God came on them all. And he was a tremendous preacher. And it wasn't long before the seekers who were seeking in the cottages found there was a man who preached and lived what he believed. And George Fox used to be called the man in leather breeches because he rode his horse, went round and uh, traveled the country preaching. And he was a character, a real character, very fiery. He got put in prison because the magistrates didn't like him because he taught people that basically you didn't have to tithe to priests who were going to go and drink the money away. Uh, You didn't have to go to church. You could go into the open field and hear God. Uh, But the difference was, it wasn't long before he realized winter hit them and the fields weren't the best place, so he decided to meet in the churches. And in the old days, in the Anglican church, you went to a service, and at the end of the service, anyone was allowed to get up and preach. And so George Fox would go to these churches, and when the minister had finished, he would stand up, and he would preach to the people. And it wasn't long before they knew that George Fox had life, And so the churches would be packed whenever he turned up and they would yawn and sleep until the minister had finished and then up would get George Fox. Now this rather infuriated the ministers. And so they tried and in the end got Cromwell to bring out a law against any but ordained ministers in the Anglican church preaching because they wanted to close his mouth. So then he went to halls, went to places and... The Quaker movement, as it's called, sprung up from one man. And the revivals spread throughout England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland, and then went over to Holland and began to move Denmark. And and the man was a tremendous man of God. But he also moved in the gifts of the Spirit, all the gifts. The Pentecostal movement did not start at Azusa Street. Uh, George Fox was there in um, the 17th century, moving in the gifts of the Spirit. He saw miracles, healings. One time he records in his journal how um, he went to Litchfield and a mob attacked him and they beat him unconscious. And then they dragged him through a river and they thought he was dead and they threw him in the field and this great multitude who'd stoned him beat him and it says that he records in his journal how he came round and the crowd was round him looking and they thought he was dead and he began to come round and he says that the power of God came upon me and I stood upon my feet and rose and uh, lifted up my uh, broken arm to bless them. And when he did that, and his arm had been broken, God healed him completely of all his wounds, all the beating. And then he said, And I preached to them the unsearchable riches of Christ, and 10,000 were added to the kingdom. And, and the church sprung out of it. He was a man who knew his God. And his power was tremendous. Uh, One time a man came and barracked him, you know, was jeering at him when he was preaching, and he said, and the power of God was strong upon me. And the man poked his tongue out at him and was catcalling and then poked his tongue out again, and his tongue swelled up and he dropped dead. And things happened that made people not want to poke their tongue out at him anymore. (laughs) His tongue just swelled up and that was the end of him. And he he spent 
quite a few years in prison because the Puritans, when they found out about the Quakers, they tried to stamp them out. The Ranters, who were another group, um, used to make out that um, James Naylor had claimed to be Christ, which he never did. And they wrote spurious letters to him. He was taken up before um, the people in Bristol, the magistrates, and they accused him of him claiming to be the second Messiah. And they condemned him to be whipped and to be taken naked on a white horse through the town to the prison. And then when he got to the prison, they bored his tongue through with a red-hot poker to stop him ever preaching again. And it records how after they'd bored his tongue through, he stood up and he kissed the man who'd done it on the cheek. And his view was never to retaliate. And they were pacifists, and God healed him. And he wrote a recantation, and it's a tremendous thing if you ever read James Naylor's recantation. Of course, it's um, the modern-day Quaker wouldn't even know about it. But those men were men of God, and I happen to have their books. But they're very old books and very precious. And when you read, you realize they were moved of the Holy Ghost. They had the inward experience. Now, there was another man among them, the first generation of Quakers only. Because once they went to the second generation, they went into Quietism, which was the era that Quakers, modern Quakers embraced. But there was another man amongst them called Robert Barclay. And he wrote uh, an apology for Christian perfection. And his Robert Barclay's apology is one of the most succinct uh, teachings on the inward experience. But Robert Barclay, a great friend of George Fox, was very clear on one thing, that the apostolic ministry, the prophetic ministry, the evangelistic ministry was a true ministry from God if the man was truly called of God, truly anointed of God, and truly sent of God. Then it didn't matter whether he wore clerical garb or not. What mattered was what was inside him. And he made it clear he wasn't against all forms. He was against the abuse of forms. Because once you have a form, a man can hide behind the form and use the authority of the form and not have the reality of the life. And so the Quakers would, would talk, and they would always talk about the inward light, the light that's in every man in John's Gospel, chapter 1. They'd say, you know, it's lighted every man that comes into the world. The truth is, you all have a conscience. However, your conscience can get seared by the teaching you have. And what they didn't emphasize enough in the first generation was the fact that repentance is so important. You've got to leave your sin and turn to Christ. And they accused George Fox of being a heretic because he said you could know forgiveness of sins. The Puritans didn't believe it. They believed when you die, you'll be perfect, but they didn't believe in the new birth, as we know it. They didn't teach on it. They taught on legalism, suppress everything. But one day you'll be perfect when you leave this earth. But George Fox said, oh no, you can know freedom from sin, freedom from bondage now in your life by the power of the Holy Ghost. He was the man of God. And his movement spread across the Americas as well. There was Pennsylvania. William Penn was um, the son of an admiral in the Navy, and he gave up his naval career to be a, a Quaker and a pacifist, and his father wanted him shipped off, and he went off to America, and he was used of God to really bring about a move of God in America, a move of the Spirit. And you have to understand, all these men had a real encounter with God. The trouble was that what they taught never became common because they were persecuted and imprisoned. And I would say, if you read the books of the sufferings of the early Quakers, nearly a third of them perished in prison. 
and their families were robbed of any income, their lands were seized, all their businesses were seized, and they suffered tremendously. And so you had to have a real experience of God to join them. And George Fox used to say that it kept the work of God pure because it meant persecution. They wouldn't take their hat off to salute someone uh, as the custom was, you know, the fancy uh, bowing. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't bow and scrape. They would not, if they went to court, they wouldn't take the oath. They believe you should neither swear by heaven nor by earth, neither by anything that's in the earth, so they refuse to take God's name in vain. And that's why in our courts today, you can still affirm. You don't have to take the Bible. You can say, I don't wish to swear, I'll affirm. And if you do that, uh, it's equal to taking an oath. Now, most people don't realize it, but God forbade swearing. And George Fox made a big thing of it. So all they did was get the, the Quakers into a court and tender the oath to them and of course they wouldn't swear and so they'd put them in prison just because they wouldn't take the oath and the priests knew that so they would accuse them of something once they got to court they couldn't defend themselves because the first thing a witness had to do was take the oath they wouldn't take the oath so they were sent to prison for contempt and some of them spent 20 years in prison because they wouldn't take the oath And the Puritans were the ones doing it. Um, but they were men of principle. God said it, they wouldn't do it. And I believe they were probably the greatest move of God this country has ever seen amongst the early Quakers. They moved in the power of the Spirit. And the thing that really meant a lot was that the Spirit of God would move upon them and then they'd get up and they'd preach in the power of the Spirit and God would just do miracles all over the place. Now Whitfield, who came later with Wesley, Whitfield was of similar ilk to George Fox, a man of the Spirit, inspired of the Spirit, and God intended every one of his churches to have men who could preach, men who could exhort, men who could bring the truths of God to reality. And these men did it. They just got up and they preached and fire fell. And you have to understand that what we've lost in our churches is men of integrity. What we've lost in our churches is men who know God. What we've lost is men with power to heal the sick, deliver the captive. They did it. George Fox, sometimes when he got ill, God would say to him, go to such and such a bush and eat the leaves of it. And he'd go and he'd say, I'd pluck the leaves off and eat them. And within an hour, he'd find he was totally whole. Now, I don't recommend you try it. You know, you'll probably kill yourself. But God used to tell him what to do. Go and eat this plant. Go and eat that plant if he was ill. Uh... One time his horse that he rode round on um, became so ill and it got a bad cough and it was dying and God said, pray for it. And he went, laid hands on his horse and within a few seconds it was right as rain because he had reins, you see. Um, and off he went and he, he was used of God. And you have to understand, right within the Puritan movement, came a seed of life that burst forth. And it was really a charismatic move of their day. But no one records it. They were the first Pentecostals, apart from the fact that Louis XIV had had them over in Central Mastiff all the years before. And the seekers, all the people who had been looking, suddenly said, we've found. And so the seekers became the Quakers. And God's spirit swept throughout the whole of the country. And it, it's a tremendous move. And when you start looking at history, you always want to not look at what things have become, but look at the route from whence they started. You get a man, you get a movement, 
And unfortunately, when he's dead, you've got the monument. All of them pointed back. Uh, Whitfield wasn't against the Anglican church. He was against the ministers in it. George Fox wasn't against the church. He was against the ministers. Um, Wherever you've got a man of God, he'll be against the ministry. Because the problem with the church is not the congregation. The problem in the church is always in the pulpit. You see, that is really where the problem lies. Because a man's born again of the incorruptible word of God. You better preach the incorruptible word of God or they won't get born again. You better know the God who's incorruptible, otherwise no one will come to life. If a man can't reach people, cannot really bring life to people, it's because he has a problem. It doesn't matter where you are. I've never gone anywhere in this country or anywhere in the world where the glory of God won't come if you preach Christ. I've gone to places where they say it's impossible. I've found the possibility is so easy if you preach Christ. You see, God's word is God's word. Wherever you are, providing God lives in you and the spirit of God is with you. And God's word is just a word of a man, even though it comes from scripture, if you haven't the life of the spirit, if you haven't the inward life, burning within you and you don't know the reality of God it doesn't matter if you say all the right things it won't bring life to people life is that which you have within silver and gold have I none but such as I have I'll give you the trouble with the church today is there aren't people with life they're dead and they blame the people and they look for forms They think, well, if we praise enough, or we pray enough, or we seek God enough, then God will bring revival. That won't bring revival. You need a man of God empowered of the Holy Ghost to speak the word of life. That brings life. You're born again of the incorruptible word of God. That's the only way to get born again. Not by prayer, not by fasting, not by seeking. The incorruptible word of God becomes alive in you. So you need to have someone speaking in the power of the Spirit to bring life. And George Fox was such a man. Whitfield was such a man. They were men of God. James Naylor was such a man. Isaac Pennington was such a man. They were what you can only term as men filled with the Holy Ghost. Wigglesworth was such a man. And you realize that what can make a difference in a country, a nation, in the world, is a man who's infused with life by the Holy Ghost, who begins to speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, and then things begin to happen. And if you go to a church where that isn't, get out and find a church where it is. Don't ever follow religion. Don't ever follow a form. Follow life. If you follow life, you'll have life. And life is in the man. And if you find a man with life, go. The most precious thing in the world is life. But God intends us to be men of the Spirit. Amen? And born of the Spirit, born of life. And such was one. His name was George Fox. Uh, I love to read his journals. I got his journals. When I was a young man, what I used to do, was, you know, 500 years ago it seems, I, I used to go around second-hand bookshops and I would look for first-generation Quakers. I'd look for the men of God, the Puritans who were real men of God. I'd look for the William Tennant and I would buy old books. I'd search. On, on, on our honeymoon, years ago, honeymoon, I went, we were up at Kendall for the first night. Two nights. Keswick for the first Two nights or three nights? I can't remember what. Two or three. Two nights in Keswick. And I went to this second-hand bookshop. 
And there, in a second-hand bookshop, and this is going back a long time, was the whole volume works of William Penn. And it was 40 pounds, which was exactly what we got to spend on our honeymoon. And I looked at the book, and I'd married a wife, alas. And my wife said to me, you can't buy the book. And this took the cross, came into my life then. I said to her, but you will never find this again. Never. And she said, that money is for our honeymoon. And so I said, yes, but... And so I left without the book. Uh And 15 years later, I went to a bookshop in London and the identical book was there and the price of it was £40. Just the same. But £40 then to me wasn't anything. And I gladly paid it and took my prize home. It's about this big, and it's on my desk at the moment because I was looking at it, uh, William Penn's Maxim, the other day, and and it's about this thick in old English writing. Beautiful old book. I love old books uh, of truth. And, And I bought the book, and I took it home. They're treasures. Do you know they're not reprinted? I have in my office a book called The New Birth and Regeneration by William Law. It's one of his oldest books. There's only one other copy, and it's in the British Museum. I was offered £2,000 for it, and I told him that the value was in the book, not of it. I said, I'll never sell that. So I kept it. Why? Because I love the truth he wrote This was William Law after he got converted. When he wrote wrote a a call to a devout and holy life, he wasn't born again. And that was the one that John Wesley picked up and started the Methodist movement with. And years later, when William Law was actually converted and really came into life, when people claimed he went off into mysticism, but he actually came into life, Those books are just tremendous because he knew the inward witness. He understood sin being dealt with. He knew freedom from sin. He knew the glory of sins forgiven. He knew what it meant to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And in those books of his later life, you read such riches. And the legalism in his first books are terrible. And most people today, Christians, read the first few books... And don't realize he wasn't converted when he wrote those. And Wesley met him when he was getting an old man. Wesley met him and he complained to him, why didn't you tell me what you preach now all those years ago? And William Law said, because all those years ago, I didn't know it. I found it later. And Wesley said, but I suffered for years with legalism because of your teaching. And he said, I know, he said, I suffered too. (laughs) Life is wonderful. When life comes, it's so wonderful. What you have to understand is if you don't know what you're reading, you can go back, read old books, and get in messes. You have to know, uh, and know who's got life and when life came. If you don't know that, You can read the old books and you get all sorts of funny doctrines. And that's what most people do. People ask me, and have recently, well, do you agree with people wearing dog collars? I don't. Uh, I don't. But one thing I did discover is whether it's agreeable or disagreeable doesn't matter. If it'll open doors into places where you can't get any other way, what I think matters is your experience of God. What I want to do is reach people. If it opens a way to people's hearts, I'm prepared to do anything. 
And I realized long time ago that the way to reach people is to see any method of doing so. That's why we publish a newspaper. People say, oh, you shouldn't do a newspaper. It's better to publish a book. You need to put media. People told me, oh, you don't want to publish stories, just, just stories of miracles, stories and testimonies. You need to put Bible teaching. But I know the man in the street doesn't want to read Bible teaching. He wants to hear how to be healed, how to be whole, how to be delivered, doesn't he? Men need answers, not questions. Trouble is with most preaching, it's full of questions instead of answers. God wants us to make the gospel relevant to today for the people of today. Now, if it means wearing a dog collar, well, wear one. If that's what will make them listen. If it means wearing robes, wear them. So what? If I go and I have to go where there's learned people and they, they want doctorates and everything, I'll put on the, the doctorate gowns. It doesn't bother me and stick a funny hat with a tassel on my head and dish out degrees. That doesn't bother me at all. It shouldn't bother you. It's an honor. And it, it's a mark of respect, isn't it? Hmm? And you look at it and you see that in a university and you say, that's fine. Well, why shouldn't a minister wear something that people respect? At the opening of Parliament, the Queen dresses up in all that regalia and stuffs that jeweled thing on her head and they carry it in on a cushion and then they stick it in the dressing room and up she turns in the, in the carriage and... Then she sits there and she reads a boring speech. My government has decided. Um, and that's it. But all the things, the scepter, the orb, all that she holds, they just merely signify what's behind it. And there's nothing wrong with it. And all the lords, they put on their ermine and stuff and they look ridiculous, I always think. But there you are. It's tradition, isn't it? And the judges at the assizes, don't they all dress in their... And I'm amazed how many Christians get hang-ups. But if you ask them to go to a disco or you ask them to come to a, a, a dance, you know, a country and western dance... They'll put on their Levi's and their check shirt and they'll turn up trying to look all countryfied in their uniform and they'll say, but don't go to church looking smart. And if you ask them to go to dinner to a nice restaurant, they'll put on their best whistle and flute and they'll put a tie on and they'll go in the best you know, dress possible because they're going somewhere special or if they're going for an interview well they might today put on a suit and tie and shirt some of them wouldn't bother and, and turn up now why on earth can't we have the same standards in church hmm? what's wrong with it why is it we've got this kind of throwback in the charismatic movement where they say you mustn't do any of that well I don't see any mustn't I don't see any must but if I can reach people with the gospel, I don't care. If I can reach a different group of people, I don't care. What I care about is that Jesus Christ sent me to the lost. Uh, it was funny. I, w I had to go and meet the archbishop this morning uh, from Nigeria. He was flying through. Five o'clock this morning I was up. So if I, nothing I've said tonight makes sense, that's a reason. And I, I got up this morning, and I went to the airport, and I met him off the plane, and he was flying on to Africa, and we were talking. Now, uh, I find it amazing how people do not know how to treat you if you've got a purple shirt on. They, they almost pour the coffee down your lap which is not helpful uh, you know they're, they're just not <laughs> sure what to do uh, why I'll tell you why because with them they connect it with position and power 
I tell you something else too. It's dead easy to talk to people like that. Because they expect you to talk about the things of God. They don't expect you to talk about the local football team. So if you can open people's hearts that way, use it. Hmm? Providing you're qualified to use it. Hmm? Don't want you all turning up in a purple shirt on Sunday. <laughs> I know, someone say, well, the pastor said it was all right, so I've made myself a bishop. <laughs> no. Uh, you need to be ordained by someone who can consecrate you and has the authority to, an apostolic authority at that, not just some dummy, you know, appointee of the queen, but someone who has authority. God intends us to use every means. You know, Paul said to the Greeks, I'm a Greek, to the Jew, I'm a Jew. I just want to reach people for Christ, Amen. So don't get yourselves into your nonconformist prejudices. Because if you do, you can have a hard time when we have the ordination service. Because people have asked me, they said, are you going to wear your bishop's gear? I will. On that day when we ordain individuals, both the archbishop and I will wear our bishop's gear. So if you want to know what it looks like, you'll see. And if you've got a problem with it, you've got the problem. Not me. And when I put it off, I'm the same person I always have been, and it won't change me. So that's what's going to happen. We're going to ordain people. And I've had people ring me up and say, Hey, uh, do you think you could hold two ordination services a year? Uh, we'd like to come. We want to be ordained, but we want to be ordained uh, and relate to your church. And people are coming and asking, I said, well, you know, I've got to know who you are, what you are, and what you do first, and whether God's really called you. But more and more, I've found opportunities have opened up. The odd bish of this and that wants to meet me. And they're the Anglican ones. I said, well, and they've wanted to ring up and come and see me. Now, why do they want to come and see because a name, what's in a name and a title? Nothing. Have I changed? Not at all. I'm the same person I was yesterday, and I'll be the same person tomorrow. But if it opens up opportunities, take them. Does it mean I'll become like them? Not a bit of it. <laughs> I couldn't. But I tell you this if we can bring to life one soul, and point the way to life and truth. Hey, what an influence it'll be. And God put us on the earth to reach people. Amen? With life and truth. Let us not make the mistake of the Puritans, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, and the fools. And say, well, nonconformity means abandon everything. Let us be wise. Wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Amen? Let us learn from history the folly of abandoning all truth and live in truth and use whatever means we can to reach people. Okay? Now, if you have a problem with it, you have a problem. You need your brain sorted out. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> I, uh, the more I looked at it, and it's amazing, this Bible school year, we've just done uh, this term on history, made me question all these things. And the uh, occurrences in Nigeria and the things. So whilst we've all been going through the Bible school, I've been having questions in my mind and had to find the answers from God and had to look through it, and I have found God has moved my position considerably from what I thought at the beginning of term. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's called light and progression. And if you don't progress, you never get anywhere, do you? And pastors have to progress as much more, more than people, because if the people go faster than the pastor, 
than he isn't a pastor anymore. All you have to do is keep one step ahead of the people and you'll be okay if you're a pastor. Uh, but you won't know everything. And over this time of church history, one of the things it's made me do is examine everything. And as I've examined it, I've come to conclusions that I never thought I'd come to. But I did. And having come to those conclusions, I was talking with the Archbishop this morning, and I'm amazed at what's happened in the last three weeks. And sometime I'll tell you. But the opportunities are immense over one ceremony. And I didn't know, but the Archbishop said, while I was in Africa, he said, from this day, it's going to be a beginning of a new day. And that's exactly what happened. And I remember when he came here all those years ago and he stood at the back of the church for 10 minutes in a meeting and wouldn't come up the front. And I wonder what he was doing. And he said God had spoken to him and shown him people coming from all corners of the country because they knew they could get a miracle. And I thought, goodness me. And he told us in that meeting what God had spoken to him. And I, I remember the meeting so well when he said it. And God fulfilled the word. And I found God's fulfilling this word too. And it is always the anointing of God's spirit, the word of life, coming forth from the throne of God that changes everything. Such a man was George Fox. You'll find him in the notes. Read it. If you can, get um, uh, any um, George Fox's journal before the 8th edition. Because after the 8th edition, the Quakers messed it up. But before the 8th edition of George Fox's journal, search any second-hand bookshop. If you find one, sell your shirt and buy it. Or if you've got enough money in the bank, <laughs> buy it with your shirt on. But it is so precious if you can get hold of one of the copies, but make sure it's before the 8th edition. If you want to buy any of John Wesley's journals, only buy the ones before his death. After his death, the Methodists cleaned it up and took out all the life. Whitfield get his sermons written in his lifetime, not the edited versions. If you want to read what's really of God. Because the men that edit them, edit life out of them. Okay? I love it. Uh, this is the last session of history through the Puritan age. And it's over. That's all I've got to say. Okay? So next term, we'll be going on, and you'll find out what we're going on with next term when we start next term. But do look at the notes, do do your homework, and you'll find it a challenge. Over this Christmas time, we've got all these events. Be at them. Do remember this, that you are the church. And one of the things we're doing at the um, ordination service, um, it, it's always worried me that the choir needed a new uniform. It worried me a lot. And so I decided I'd got to do something about it. So I have. So what I want you to do is all stand. Stand up. Everyone, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. If I see anyone peeping, I'll come and kick you. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close those eyes. Keep them closed. Don't peep. Come up there. Okay, now the choir will be robed like that from now on when they come to special occasions, okay? So you can... We wanted something different. So Colin, put it on, show them. 
male and female, they'll, he hasn't got a polar neck at the moment, but the advantage with it is that they can wear shirts and different things. doesn't mean we'll abandon the shirts and ties and stuff. just means that at certain times we'll wear this, other times we'll wear that. But I thought it would be nice for the carol concert to have the red sweater, which is cotton underneath, and that over the top. And that's the way it's going to be. Now, if someone doesn't like it, don't be in the choir. I don't care. Go jump up. <laughs> Go jump over the fence. That's the way. <laughs> oh, dear. I told you I wasn't going to change. And someone said, oh, you know, fancy doing that. Yeah, I do. And it's a, it's a total democracy here. We decided. I went with Mary. We've ordered them. They're coming. And they'll be here. So when the ordination service is here, that'll be the first night. All come and look fine. And then at the carol concerts, that's what they'll be wearing. And I'm looking forward to it. And I think they'll look great. Don't you? Um, we'll probably do it up in London. We could do it the first night. It'll be up in London, the 10th. Oh, we'll do it on the 10th, first time. On the 10th up at Stratford, let everyone see a choir looking nice. I like to look the choir to look nice, don't you? Okay, that's the way it's going to be. There's some prayer requests. Let's lift them up to the Lord. Father, I thank you, you always hear us. In the name of Jesus, I curse every affliction, every bondage, every disease, every sickness. Lord, from this day, loose the captive, break the fetters. Lord, let your healing power flow into each body. Lord, let the word of life spoken reach into their souls. Quicken them, Master, and set them free, I pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen? Amen? Okay, do sit down.